Hey, this is Joseph Massonary. I'm the pastor at Cornerstone, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope this helps you build your faith. I hope in some way that God will challenge you with a new perspective as you listen. Enjoy the message. And by the way, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, and we're in the midst of this series on the Hall of Fame of Faith. I love watching this time of year because uh, we have a lot of guys at our church that love to play fantasy football. Uh, In two weeks, the NFL will announce the class of 2022 Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. And uh, those of us, many of us have seen the pictures of the hallways, the walls. Uh, It's literally the football mecca where the best players in football are forever enshrined in a life-size bronze bust. And then they also have plaques on the wall that tell everyone of their great exploits during their time in the NFL. All the way back to being an Illinois boy, there was a, the, the Galloping Ghost, who was the original, one of the original inductees. His name is Red Grange. Scored amazing, amazing football player. There was, and by the way, what is it with football nicknames? They were a lot better in the old days. Slingin' Sammy Ball, who was the... Uh, one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. There was Elroy. Anybody remember what his name? Hirsch. Anybody remember his nickname? Who said that? Crazy Legs. And uh, one of my favorite players was Dick Nitrain Lane, a defensive back for Detroit. And of course, one of the greatest running backs, Jim Brown, Gail Sayers, the Kansas Comet, Bart Starr, Dick Butkus. Joe Montana, and I have to make sure I get one cowboy on this list because he does have a great name. It's Dion Hollywood Sanders. And I, I, I love that guy. Um, or actually, he had two names. Primetime was also his name. I might want to add that. And of course, we have to add Randall Cunningham to that list. Uh, who is pretty amazing that Randall pastors a church here in town called Remnant, uh, a wonderful, wonderful man who serves God his, with his wife. And uh, they have paid the price of ministry. They've lost a child uh, that drowned a few years ago. And uh, just, you know, we, we, we revere football players. We hold them in high esteem as we do most people that are in a public position. And when I look at this, I began to think about what is called by faith, the great faith chapter of chapter 11. You see, the difference in Canton, Ohio, is that their membership is only temporary. The one and only universal connection that they share is that every member of the Hall of Fame will be gone one day and they will die. And by the way, hopefully, uh, they will die of old age, which is oftentimes not the case for football players. The average age in the NFL, the lifespan is 53 years old. And many of them have residual damage from brain concussions, horrific arthritis. And this morning, I want to talk to you about a different Hall of Fame. And unlike these mere mortals of the gridiron... The members of this Hall of Fame have an eternal dwelling place that the book of Hebrews declares that it is a better country. It is a godly, heavenly city. And we want to continue our series on the Faith Hall of Fame. Just a quick review. Well, remember, Joey started out with Abel, who gave a sacrifice to the Lord, and it was deemed righteous. And then there was Enoch, who was such a spiritual man that he was transported into heaven. There was Noah who labored in his city for 120 years building an ark. Can you imagine the ridicule that that man must have taken every day of his life 
There's old crazy Noah out there again. You know, it looked like rain, Noah. 120 years it took to build that until the promise was fulfilled. Abraham, who went to a land that the Bible says that he did not know. He went to a nation. He, he just simply got up. How would you like this? The Lord says, Scott, I want you to go, but you need to pack everything you own and get in your car or your camel in, in that time period, and I want you to go where I will tell you. Now, I'm not going to tell you, but you just have to trust me. Now, I don't know about you. That takes an incredible amount of faith. And so Abraham went to a land. He didn't know where he was going. He did not know the language. He did not know the people. They were pagan. They were, uh, had horrific practices of immorality. And he lived, he was a very wealthy man, but yet he lived in tents the rest of his life. All because God gave him a promise that all of the nations of the world would be blessed through him, through the child that God was going to give to him. Now, the interesting thing is, is that wouldn't it be nice to, to have a, a preview of what's in, in store for us? I mean, when God tells us to do something, wouldn't we like to have a road map? We'd like to have a GPS, at least where we're going, how long does it take to get there, and what can I expect on the way? But how many of you know our faith doesn't work like that? And so God gave Abraham a promise. And how many of you know that every one of these great men and women of faith, they messed up royally? Abraham decided, because of the suggestion of his wife, Joey covered this, uh, he went and took Sarah's maidservant, you know, and tried to make things happen their own. But it wasn't until Abraham was 99 years old that God fulfilled his promise. I look at this passage of Scripture this morning, and the Bible tells us in chapter 11 that there was Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And this morning we want to pick it up now in verse 23, and we're going to talk about one of the most essential and most important figures in all of the Bible. If we were in Canton, Ohio, there probably would be a special display for this guy. Uh, Jewish way of saying his name was Moshe, but we call him Moses. And Moses, um, the Bible tells us in verse 23, let's just look there right now in your Bibles or on your smartphone. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born. Because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Anybody remember what the king's edict was in Egypt? Because the king was fearful of his position, he gave a ruling and made it law that all of the male-born Hebrew children were to be drowned in the Nile River. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. I want you to think about that in the backdrop of some of the legal decisions that have been made in our courts. And I want you to think about not only the value of life, but to realize that the very dilemma we face is something that the world has been dealing with since its beginning of time. I think what's amazing to me is that it literally was a foreshadowing or um, maybe perhaps a prophetic understanding that because Pharaoh feared that his kingdom would be taken over, he killed all these children, the firstborn, that many years later when Moses would return, all of the firstborn of Egypt under two years old would be killed in return. I know sometimes we, uh, you know, and I just, I think it's so silly when I hear a Christian say, well, you know, that's karma. <laughs> Guys, it's not karma. There is a principle that the Bible teaches, and it's not what goes around comes around. Don't be deceived. A man reaps what he sows. And he reaped exactly the harvest of the seeds that he planted. 
In fact, what a foreshadowing that it was of the very environment that Jesus would be born into where all of the baby boys under two years old would be put to death by Herod. And so in this process, it tells us in, that they weren't afraid of the king's edict. They weren't afraid. By faith, Moses, verse 24, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He broke away. And we're going to find out in just a moment how old he was when he broke away. Some of you worry about having your 21-year-old in the house. Uh, Moses' mother or his stepmother in the palace had him till he was 40. So at 40, Moses decided to break out. And so in verse 25, he says he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead for his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who was invisible. Moses had his priorities in life correct. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. I want you to look back, if you would, in your Bible. Look at verse 23 again. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. And hold on to this phrase. They were not afraid of the king's edict. They weren't afraid. They knew that those two words speak volumes of their character, of their belief in God, of their faith. No matter what the king, the most powerful man on the face of the earth, for almost 2,000 years in, in the land of Egypt, and Pharaoh had given this edict, and these parents said, you know what, doesn't matter. We're going to find a way to save our kid. I like that. I like it when the heads of government tell you that you need to do this, and yet God tells you you need to do this. And how many of you know that's okay? Because what we see in this passage, they were looking forward because their citizenship is not this earth. It's not for football players. It's not the Hall of Fame. There is a greater city that God has given to us. There is a destination that awaits us to all those who call upon Jesus as Lord and Savior. They weren't afraid. You know, we need a little dose of that today, don't we? I hear lots of Christians talk about, well, you know, our country's gone to you know where in a handbasket, and you know, uh, you know, it just you know, we're fearful of this, fearful of that, and and I look at that, and I love the fact that they believe their, their faith took over their fear. Think about that for a moment. They had every right to be fearful, just like everybody else. I don't know about you, but uh, I know many of the families in our church who have lost children. It's a horrific thing to experience emotionally. And yet, they weren't afraid. I look at the spiritual DNA that was passed on to this baby named Moses that literally because of their son, they did not live in fear and had a divine plan to protect him. They passed on to him the modicum literally of, of belief that guided Moses the rest of his life. 
when I look at, and if you jot this down, and I've got some, uh, some long points on this today because uh, I worked in conjunction with that other preacher, Joseph Massonary, and he, he I, man, he has some long points. And so I thought I'd get some long points. Um, not that there's any competitiveness in our family whatsoever. And you probably don't have room for this, and I, I don't know if they have it in the overhead or not, but here's the first thing I want you to jot down today. And if you can't get it all, wave your hand, I'll come back at you. Um, it's always, it always pays to be obedient to the Lord. But let me add a little addendum to that. Sometimes on earth, but always in heaven. What do I mean by that? It pays to be obedient. The Bible tells us to, in Ephesians chapter 6, says, children, obey your parents so that you may live a long life. There is a benefit to children who obey their parents on this earth. But how many of you know that not everything we do in obedience to God is accompanied with a ribbon and flowers and a box of chocolates? A lot of times when we're obedient to do what God tells us to do, it's a major trial. It's a major circumstance. It's a major hurdle that we have to overcome. Let's look at Exodus chapter 2, and we're going to see a little bit more insight because there's so many scriptures on the life of Moses. It jumps everywhere. It goes to Hebrews. It goes to the book of Exodus. It goes uh, all the way into the book of Acts. And by the way, if you ever want to read the most concise theological representation of what salvation is and in its conception from the very beginning, Stephen who was being martyred, who was giving a defense of his faith before he was stoned to death, gives the most marvelous one-chapter outline of the history of God's working in mankind. It's unbelievable. Now, in Exodus chapter 2, Now, a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. Uh, and by the way, those were Levi skinny jeans. Um, Wow, you guys have missed me. I can't even get a smile. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And she saw that he was a fine child, and she hid him for three months. Now think about that. How, how many moms are in the house? What would you do if they passed the law says you've got to put your kid to death? You'd do exactly what she was doing. You do everything you could, dads as well, to save that child, to prevent that death from happening. When she saw that he was a fine child, and how many of you know as a mom, every child's a fine child? I've seen some babies come through our church, and I go, <laughs> wow, they, they look older than me. Um, but that's okay, because to their parents, that's the most beautiful Winston Churchill baby they've ever seen. When she could no longer hide him, she got a papyrus, papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and amongst the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen. So here's Miriam. They have this plan, this plot, that if we put baby Moses in a little basket that floats, it's going to be played upon the heartstrings of every woman that I've ever met when they go, oh, that baby is so cute. And by the way, the Bible says this is a beautiful baby. This is not Winston Churchill. This, this is a good-looking kid. When she opened it up, she saw a baby, and he was crying. And she felt sorry for him. And she goes, oh, can you say that this morning? Oh, man, that's not very enthusiastic. She goes, that, this is a Hebrew baby. You know, and, and you know immediately she, she knew that. And she didn't care. 
Then the sister, and I love this, because you got the sister hiding in the bulrushes, right? Is they going to notice her? Here. I, I wonder sometimes if they had a string on it, kind of pulling it out to where the, the princess was. <laughs> you know, pfft, over here. And so here's the, 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 the sister looking through, and the time she recognizes that the princess loves this child, he's beautiful, and she just kind of says, you know, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse this baby for you? And she said, yes, go. And so the girl went and got, guess who? Moses' mom, the mother of this child. Now, it gets better. Not only is that child saved, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. You don't like that idea? You get paid to raise your own child, and it's not a government handout? Think about that. They're going to pay his mother to raise him. And he's going to be raised in the palace. What I think is absolutely amazing is that it paid off for them to be obedient to God on this earth. And because they were obedient, God honored that and blessed them. Not only by saving their child, but having a few benefits as well. And I want you to know, that's the God that we serve. He wants to bless us. He's the giver of all good gifts. And, and yet we see Moses, we see his parents had a lack of fear in an evil culture with an evil king in a life, and they did it in an incredibly creative and wise manner. What would happen sometimes if God's people, rather than seeing those things that are obstacles in our path, rather than seeing it as a hindrance, sometimes rather than being fearful, we were faithful and looked to God of how he can get us over or through, around, whatever it is that we're facing. So their strategy was to place Moses in a basket on the Nile at the time that the king's daughter went to have her bath. And so... Obviously, she was smitten by this child and brought him in to the castle. Number two, living out our faith. Living out our faith, we choose God's ways, our cultural beliefs. I want to say that again. Living out our faith means we choose God's ways over our culture's beliefs, values, and philosophies. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, it says that by faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. His mother used his proximity to the leadership of all of Egypt to help shape and to grow and to pray and to guide this young boy so that he would, as he became a young man and as an adult, she shaped his worldview to that of God's people. She knew that that was the only thing that was eternal. That was the only thing that would last. No matter what the culture said, no matter how evil it may be or its leaders, there are God's ways. Aren't the world's ways necessarily. She instilled in him those values, those Hebrew values of, of, of a heart for people, a heart for giving, a heart for sacrifice. She created an environment where there was bonding of a of great spiritual heritage to the forefathers that went before him of knowing those passages that were uh, of scripture that they had memorized and and some of you go well some of it wasn't written yes but the oral tradition existed hundreds of years 
before the written manuscripts. Her influence not only would make a tremendous influence on his life or impact, might we say it this way, it affected every decision that he made as an adult. I don't know about you, growing up I made a couple decisions I shouldn't have made. When I threw a bullet down in my uncle's basement and it went off, wasn't a wise decision on my part. It was a miracle nobody got hurt. That was really a dumb thing to do. Don't shake your head at me like that. I know you, girl. You, there's some things you've probably done, too. I look at the youth and going down to camp and, and seeing them this morning, and I realize that the parents, some of them are sitting by them, and they're just going, oh, my gosh, they're going to be out of the house in another two years or four years. Where did time go? You have the ability to shape the destiny and the future spiritually of your children. And sometimes we not only lose sight of that, we apologize for it. forefront of Moses' life, he was not going to be controlled by the culture. Rather, he was going to align himself with the precepts of God. They lived by faith. That's why he's a man of faith. That's why he's in the chapter of the Hall of Fame of Faith. Because he chose God's plans over society. And he watched the Lord work it out, not only in his own life. Do you realize that because those values were instilled in Moses, he was then able to answer the call when God came 40 years later and said, I am going to use you to lead my people out of Egypt. Because of one mother and one father's obedience. Their son not only was saved. If you go back and look at the millions of people, the Jewish people that have been born since the time you'll find that it numbers in the millions. That one act of saving him in the bulrushes saved generations and thousands and thousands of people. Now, I don't know how that you respond to that. I mean, I'm hoping that there's something in you because sometimes moms, let's face it, you, you don't ever stop. I love it when I hear a, a, a dad say, well, I got to have a day off. I go, well, why? Moms don't have days off. Girls, that's a good time to say amen. And, and, and here... We find that in the midst of all of this, when we see that the moral compass of our country right now is spinning on so many fronts, that a mom, by simply taking the time to raise her children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, training a child up in the way they should go so that when they're older they won't depart, understanding that the Bible declares in Psalms that children are a gift from the Lord. They're not an inconvenience. And it saddens my heart that those in the church will say something along these lines. I, I just don't think that I want to bring a child into this world. Really? Are you kidding me? Do you think this is the first generation that's ever had problems? Go back and read world history. Read of the incredible persecutions against the church, against nation upon nation, and the incredible wars of the last century where over 100 million people were killed because of three despots that put them to death. 
How many of you know there's, there's kids in our culture? Our kids need Jesus. Hello? You don't think so? You don't think we ought to raise our children up in a godly environment, helping them to shape a worldview? Well, you know, I just think you ought to raise a child up and, and just, you know, let them become whatever they are to blossom, and they can be whoever they want to be. And, and Really? That's not what my Bible says. My Bible says train them up. And by the way, it's a word that means as you train a horse. Now, whether you use a whip or not, I don't want to know. But I do know that the Bible talks about discipline and how important it is to discipline children. When someone says to me, well, we just want to raise them and they can be whatever they want to be. You know who also recognized that? Here's a wonderful quote. Give me one generation of the youth and I'll transform the whole world. Lenin in 1917 before the communist revolution. He did. He got the youth. He alone who owns the youth gains the future. 1939, Adolf Hitler. As he started his young Nazi program. We have a duty and an obligation, a responsibility to raise our children in the ways of God. To discipline them so that they give us peace of mind, as Proverbs 29 says. And when we do that, it will make our heart glad. I love it because, you know, a lot of times I hear kids say, my kid said this, I'm sure I did too. Mom, come on, why do I have to? And, and mom goes, I don't need to tell you why. I'm your mother. And boy, she was and is. We were reminiscing the other night. Everybody was over for a while, and they were talking about mom's discipline and talked about this point of how you shape your children for the future. And one of the things I didn't realize that I knew that she could drive one-handed, but I didn't realize that she could drive one-handed while picking up what is ever close to her to whack who's ever behind her that is not listening to her. Or as one of the boys said, Dad, she grabbed, one time she grabbed me by the collar, and it was like a chokehold. And I said, well, you don't mess with the Irish. You don't mess with mothers. Because if she said it, you better do it. And guess what? How we discipline our children is how our children understand the very nature of who God is. That God print that is placed into us as we have this tiny little arena of family that God has in order and it has boundaries that are set by Scripture. And we're to follow those. I, I don't care what Clark County School District's teaching. I mean, I do, of course. But I care about what I'm teaching my children and my grandchildren. And that's exactly how Moses' mother was. We don't know her name even, but we know she was a great woman. She shaped not only her son to escape being killed, but she shaped the destiny of a nation. Well, that's good news for, for us here. You know, sometimes I hear people say, well, you know, Pastor, I, I don't have a ministry. I, I have no influence whatsoever. Oh, yes, you do. I don't care if it's with your neighbor. I don't care if it's with somebody that you house sit their dog. I don't care if it's somebody that you see in the grocery store. You have the influence of the Holy Spirit living in you. And if we don't give hope to this world, and so when a 
parent says, I, I just can't bring a child in this, this, this place because of the way things are. If we don't have children and raise them as godly children, how will they ever know? How will they ever know the good news of Jesus Christ unless we train our children? I think all of us recognize that we need to do a better job at that. But I also think it's important to recognize that sometimes these Hall of Famers, they messed up too. But we have a God who's forgiving and he's redeeming, isn't he? Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11. And I'm going to speed things up here because I have 23 points. Made you think though, didn't I? By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the Pharaoh's daughter. He chose instead to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered until he saw him who is invisible. Moses made a, a conscientious choice at 40 years old to leave his Egyptian palace. Now mind you, this guy had everything. Anything and everything that the world would say, man, that guy's got it all. You know, he's got a fancy... Audi chariot or Mercedes horse or something. He had nice watches. He had anything, the best food in the world. He had the best places to go and vacations. He had women at any moment that he wanted them in his life. He had everything. Money, riches, all those things that the world says that if you have those, you'll be happy. Moses said, you know what? I'm more concerned about my citizenship in heaven than I am about being a member of the household. And so Moses made a personal choice to no longer be associated with the Egyptians. And I'm sure that made his dad really mad. Number three, write this down if you would. Making a stand for Jesus means negative repercussions will follow. Making a stand for Jesus means negative repercussions will follow. Refusing to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter came at the loss of a great cost for Moses. We don't talk about this enough because I wonder sometimes if there really is enough. What was the statement somebody said? You know, if, uh, is there enough evidence to convict us if we are charged with being a Christian? I want you to know something. The Bible tells us that we will face tribulation. That we will experience ill treatment. There will be fallout when you make a decision to follow Christ. I'm sure that some of the kids coming back from camp, they've already got it from their best place. Oh, what do you know? One of those Jesus freaks, huh? I don't know if they use that term anymore, but, you know, that's what we called them. You know, it, all, all these things that go through their mind like, oh, no, I'm not going to be popular anymore. And, and, but I want you to know something. You make a decision to follow Christ at any level, there will be some sort delineation of persecution, fallout, difficult things happening to us. I want to tell you something. If you live your life for the approval of others, of how many followers that you have on Instagram, how many hits you're going to receive on your cute little dance on TikTok, I want to do one of those one, one day, by the way. Yeah. 
Now, I, I don't know how. Oh, man. Gabe, my back's out, brother. I got another service. Will you do it for me? I want to tell you something. And, and I'm not, I think some of those, my, my kids, my grandkids do those things. What I want you to know, that if you ruffle feathers and you're persecuted and people make fun of you or whatever it may be, that maybe wanting to be another Hall of Fame inductee to this Hall of Faith might not be for you. Because it comes with a price. Obedience to God doesn't result in popularity in the contemporary world and our culture. And that's why I love the Apostle Paul, because he is such a straight shooter. I would love to see him in the church today. In fact, we wouldn't even let him in the door. You know why? Because he killed people. Oh, we, we, we can't have him. He's a, you know, he, 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 did, he, over, he, you know, he was the one that caused Stephen's death. Oh, can you imagine how some of these guys would cause problems in the church today? 2 Timothy 3.12 said, listen to this. Indeed, all. Can someone tell me what the word all means? Somebody tell me, what's it mean? Everybody, everything. All means all. All who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus. This is Paul. You will be persecuted. And sometimes we dismiss that because, well, you know, it's not like Jan and, and Mark when they go to Africa because, you, know, you know, they almost got hit with a machete the last time or, or whatever. We're not just talking about physical persecution. We're talking about being made fun of, being bullied, being ostracized by those around you. Let that sink in for a minute. All who desire to live godly lives. All! Notice it doesn't say some people who face will be persecuted. It doesn't say some people who live godly lives in Christ Jesus will face trouble a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit everywhere. No. It says everyone will face persecution. Ridiculed for your beliefs, made fun of, humiliated perhaps in a science class because you went in to try and prove the creation theory of the world and you found out that your argument for biblical creation was you didn't study enough and, you, and people just made fun of you in the class. Moses made a decision to not enjoy the pleasures of sin. Which leads me to number four. And I know we're good at this. You know why I know that? Because sin is fun. Some of you are looking at me with real spiritual eyes right now. Sin is not fun. Oh, yeah, it is. Why do you think people do it? Do you think people go out and get drunk and hang over on Friday night because they, they like the headache the next morning? The reason, number four, why we sin is so tempting is because it feels so good. So good. So good. It's enjoyable. Anyone who tells you any different one or two people. They either never have sinned, and I only know one person on this earth that did that, or they're lying to you. And I can tell you that as a pastor, all the things that I've heard in my office for 45 years, let me tell you, I've heard about every sin there is to hear. I'm sure there's one or two that's been left out, and thank you, Jesus, I really don't want to hear those. People sin because why? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All, every one of us, it's our nature. Adam and Eve from the very beginning sinned in the Garden of Eden. Jesus went to the cross because of sin. Think about this for a second. If, if sin was like taking a cup of 
I was going to say vinegar, but it's even worse than that. Take a cup of, of motor oil. Motor oil that has already been used. And chalk that down. I'm going to tell you something. If sin tasted like that, it wouldn't be so fun. We wouldn't be tempted to take part in it. But sin is addictive. And what's crazy, the Bible doesn't try and hide that reality. But they want us to grow and mature so that we see sin as only temporal and a passing pleasure. That's why, because sin is enjoyable, that's why people continue to do it. Because that's called an addiction. And sometimes sin is just simply an extension of trying to get that first fix or enjoyment that they got way back when but have never reached it again. Rather than getting caught up in the fleeting pleasures of sin, Moses made a decision to position himself for the long term. He knew there was a greater reward that was coming for him. I had a boy in, when I was a youth pastor way back in the day, and he said, Pastor, how, how do I save myself for, for marriage? The, my girlfriend is all over me. And, and uh, you know, and, and, I, and I laid out some things for him. I said, well, first of all, don't go over to the house when mom and dad aren't there. Don't lay down on the couch. You know, well, we're just, you know, don't, don't do the back rub things when there isn't somebody around. You know, keep your feet on the floor. There's a lot of safeguards, but if you don't have a strategy before you face it, none of us can deal with that on our own. And so oftentimes you have to have that strategy, and, and we find that Moses did. Rather than get caught up in the fleeting pleasures of sin, it tells us that he went and became a part of his people. It goes on and it tells us how that he went to the Hebrew people and he found and spent time with them. And of course, I think most of us know that, um, that during that time what happened was he got angry at a fellow Egyptian and Moses killed him, murdered him with his own hands. And how many of you know when you do wrong, you know it? You know what Moses did? He went and buried him. He buried him. Next day comes along and Moses sees a dispute between two kids in the youth group. He says, hey, you guys need to knock that off. And one of them goes, smart Alec, because kids are really good at this. I know I have, they still are with me. Hey, what are you going to do? Kill us too? They knew. And do you know that one bad decision that he made cost him 40 years of relationship with God? One decision. When Moses was 40 years old, he killed that man. And the Bible tells us that he went to the desert. And when he went there, he went there to become a shepherd. He found a job, had to do something. Shepherding is hard work. But for 40 years, could we say it this way? He walked outside the will of God. Folks, do you hear me? Some of us in this room have been walking outside the will of God. And I'm not going to take the time to extrapolate or expand on that. But if that, by the Holy Spirit's unction right now, you know... If you have something present in your life that has got you and holds you, you need to deal with it. Because every one of us fail. Every one of us sin. And i got to tell you, I've never had a person who's ever come up to me or cried or we prayed through something that I ever thought, well, darn, that's just about the ugliest thing I've ever heard. You need to get out of this church. No. You cry with them. You hold them. You bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. You are the hands and heart of Jesus to them. When he told the woman who was caught in adultery, woman, where's your accusers? Go, ahead, go, sin no more. Nicodemus, come down from that tree. Later on at lunch, 
He tells them, the kingdom of God has come to your household today, Nicodemus. So we find, and this is the last part of it, number five, write this one down. Even with minimal faith, God can raise you up and equip you to do great things for him. Let me say that again. Even with minimal faith, God still can raise you up and equip you to do great things for him. You see, sometimes, let's just take a mom for an instant. Sometimes mom are so devalued in our culture, or sometimes I, it's even now I had a dad the other day told me he's a stay-at-home dad, which I love that idea. But you think about it, if we listen to the voice of the world that defines success by a great job, a really nice car, a beautiful home, the best clothes that you can wear, the n nicest, uh, gosh, what is the preoccupation that women have with shoes? Good night. That's, that's the latent power of the soul. Think about it. Tells us in Exodus chapter 3 that Moses has an encounter. He's out ten in the flock, and while he's out there, he looks over and he finds this bush that's on fire. Huh. That sucker is bright. Caught his attention. Moves in to get a closer look. Moses saw the fire wasn't consuming it. Well, I'm going to go and see what the heck's happening here. That bush is not, it's not, it's not burning up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over in verse 4, he called to him from the bush. Called him from the bush. A pre-incarnation of the risen Savior, Christ Jesus, who knows neither limits of time nor matter nor space. He can appear in any circumstance under any conditions in any form because he is the creator of the universe in the Hebrew it implies he didn't just say Psst. hey Mark Mark Rich Moses Moses Yeah, okay. You know, I haven't heard his voice in 40 years. <laughs> I'm right here. And the Bible does say that it was a, it was a mealy-moused, wuss reaction. I'm right here. What, Moses? I, or, I can't hear you. And I love what the Lord says. When he says, I'm here, how many of you know that if you want to be available to the Lord, it doesn't matter how loud your voice is. You just got to say, I'm here. The Lord jumps in and says, Moses, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place you're standing on is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Isn't that something that when you've been out of touch with your relationship with God, we're afraid to look at him. Moses' impulsive decision led to four decades and a detour of tending the sheep. And yet somehow this impatient, imperfect man who killed somebody ends up in the Hall of Fame of Faith. And after 40 years, the angel appeared in the wilderness at Mount Sinai in the flame of the burning thorn bush. Forty years of wandering, but also wondering 
about life, about purpose. God, are you real? God, where have you been this last 40 years? Moses. Moses. You know, I imagine with, in the midst of his fear, kind of a smile as well. Oh my gosh. I know that voice. That has a familiar ring to it. I, and, and, and all of a sudden, you're forgetting about your past. You're forgetting about your sin for just a moment. I mean, after all, it's like, I think I'm in the presence of God. For the first time in 40 years, no matter how far you've strayed, no matter how far you've gone, Moses goes, oh my gosh, this has a sweet feeling of, of I've been here before. This is God's presence and there's no place that I would rather be than in the presence of God. Because I want to tell you something, if you've ever tasted the presence of God, you will never forget it. It's a taste that is unlike any other. There's nothing on this earth that can even come close. And so, we look at Moses, and we're going to look at it the rest of this week, about what happens when he's told the Lord comes to him now that he's got his attention, they're reestablishing a relationship. But how many of you are glad that God cares enough about us to pursue us? Amen? I sure am. I sure am. He pursued Moses. They let him go do his thing. I mean, what's 40 years for, for God? So, and I think it was really funny. Moses gets called to the greatest thing he's ever been called to, and the sucker's 80 years old. I'm telling you, I don't know if they had arthritis back then or back pains like I have, but that, that just is not appealing to me at all. It must not have been to Moses either because he said, well, Lord, I can't, I can't go to Egypt. I, I'm slow of speech. I can't talk in front of people. I mean, of course, every time Moses gave an excuse, how many of you know God had an answer for that excuse? As we close this morning, I want to ask you this question. Moses' mother was called to save this boy. There is nothing more important for you to recognize as a follower of Jesus Christ that you have been called by God for a specific purpose. The number one question that people have, I don't know what God has for me. I don't know what he wants me to do. Well, guess what, folks? Stink and find out. Because there is nothing in this world that surpasses knowing God personally in your life and interacting, learning to hear His voice, learning to respond, learning to go wherever He says to go, to do whatever He says to do. I will tell you this. There's nothing in this world that will satisfy you. I watched three men during COVID, three of the wealthiest men in town all committed suicide. They had more money than I would know. I, I can't even count that high. And all three of them took their own lives. I want to tell you something. What this world has to offer is nothing compared to the overall greatness of who God is and the riches that await for us to those who have called upon Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Moses had his priorities right, even though he messed up. And I got a feeling there's some of us in this room that have messed up. Could I say it this way? You will be the most frustrated Christian on your row or in your block or at your church or at your work if you do not with clarity discover what God has for your life in serving Him. I didn't know that I was going to be a pastor when I was 12 years old or 
15, and heck, I was going to ORU to play baseball. I didn't even know I didn't go there to be a pastor. But you know what I did is I learned to say yes to what it was God was asking me to do. When he said, play guitar, I don't know how to play guitar. Play guitar. Learn to worship. Lead the Bible study. I've never done a Bible study before. I'll do the Bible study. Well, here's some extra money for you. Well, I'll clean the bathrooms of the athletic dorm. That's not a good job, but I did it. Because we learn what it means to be obedient because of what my dad and mom poured into me in my spiritual heritage. I don't care if you're a mom here this morning. You got more influence than you even begin to understand. And I'm telling you, if you're a mom that, that you, you know, you're doing your homeschooling your kids or whatever it may be, that, that is your calling. That is your ministry. Don't let the devil come and tell you that you don't do anything of significance. We always look at the big timers and, you know, the guys, the pretty boys, you know, with the cute boots and the skinny jeans and think, well, you know, that's an amazing ministry. I can't preach like that. I don't know the Bible like that. That's true. But can you move a cart? Can you come help Mark and Jan move the food on Wednesdays? Can you do something that says yes to God to where you're planted right now? Because that's what this message of Moses is all about. He was called. He didn't listen. I'm sure thankful for second chances, aren't you? Amen. And God used him to deliver a nation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, we realize that we can't in 30, 40, 50 minutes do justice to someone who has the greatness of relationship with you like Moses. But you know what? God, you took Miriam that was just Moses' older sister. And she was a spy. She joined in on the charade. But just by joining in, she saved her little brother's life. And you know what, Lord? There are people who would try to tell us that we're insignificant, that we don't have anything of value in Christ, when in fact all of the riches in Christ Jesus have been given to us in the heavenlies. Lord, help us to lift our head up and see the way Moses saw that he had his eyes on the prize. He had his eyes on where he was going, not on his earthly possessions, his earthly circumstances. So Lord, may we be a people that doesn't apologize for Whatever it is that God has called, no matter how insignificant somebody might else judge or how insignificant the devil says that you are, he's a liar and a thief and comes to kill and steal and destroy. And he's good at it. So Lord, you've called every person in this room today. Let them wrestle with you until they come away with knowing what that calling is. It might be teaching Sunday school. It might be just driving kids to youth group. But Lord, you've got something for every one of us in this room to do. And we're so busy while the compass of direction of our culture is spinning. We're trying to get in arguments on the internet when we got work to do. We've got hope to extend to a generation that needs to know the hope of Jesus Christ. So Lord, let us walk with our shoulders a little more erect today, our heads a little bit higher, a little bit more quickness to our gait, because we know that we're sons and daughters of the King, that if God be for us, who can be against us? That we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation set apart, that Father, whatever it is that you've called us, you've already equipped us. Just get it off our keister and out of the couch to get out there and do it. 
Father, we pray right now for little Hannah's father, for Ian, the tremendous pain this family's feeling right now. Lord, I'm glad you took him home from the standpoint that that type 4, stage 4 pancreatitis is horrific. Thank you for the days that you did give him. And I know he's with you, and that's a great comfort. But it still hurts an awful lot. Lord, we pray right now for, for Luke. Lord, you talk about a man who has done it all. He's flown fighter jets and you name it. And he's in here fighting for God's kingdom. Lord, he needs a real touch from you right now, God. We don't want to lose him. And so, Lord, you're a healing God. And we ask right now that you would bring healing to him, to those broken ribs. I mean, in fact, if you can take a rib out of Adam and make a woman, you can take his skinny ribs and do whatever with in his life. I know I had said to pray for one other, and I can't remember. Can somebody help me out here? Yeah. You guys around those guys, would you put your hands on those folks? I'm sorry, I couldn't. Someday I'm going to have to preach a sermon on the legacy of Marty Ward and Africa. And how Jim Thompson took up the baton and how Jan and Mark Wyatt picked up the baton. And how God's got somebody or some people in this room already to pick up the baton. You just don't know it yet. Father, we come before you right now. We pray God's blessing and protection upon Jan, her daughter, Mark, all of them as they travel, Lord. We pray that you go behind them, in front of them, that you be their shield, their buckler, their ever-present help in time of need, that you be the lifter of their head, that you be the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the good shepherd, the door, that, Lord, you would make a way of escape even in circumstances that defy human reasoning. Guide them, protect them, watch over them, bring them safe, safely back to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today, and a special thanks to those who give to Cornerstone. You know, it's because of you, our ministry, it's possible. Uh, you can click the link in the description to give now or visit us at cornerstonelv.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with friends, share it with family, help us spread God's word. You can also join us live every Sunday. We invite you, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We stream service live. Thank you again for listening.